Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. I wanted to start out with part of a poem. There'll be several poems here. Um, but this is a poem that is in the chant book. This is from a, the poem, The Grass Roof Hermitage. So this is a poem by um, uh, teacher Sekito Kisen. Um, and I've always found this very encouraging. And so I wanted to read this to preface the talk I'm going to give. And this is just a short couplet from this. He says, thousands of words, myriad interpretations are only to free you from obstruction. So don't take what I'm going to say too seriously. <laughs> um, it's already there. You've already got it. And we're asked to say something. And so we sit here and we say something. But uh, the things we're saying are not so important. All right. So to begin the talk, I wanted to attribute the um, idea, the motivation, the inspiration for this talk to a teacher from Green Gulch in California associated with the San Francisco Zen Center. This is a teacher, Jiryu Richman Byler. He is one of the senior teachers at Green Gulch right now. And if anyone is interested in listening to this talk, you can find this. The date was May the 14th of this year. So you could go onto the San Francisco Zen Center site and search through their Dharma talk archives and hear the, the inspiration for my current talk. So the talk is, is about form, forms and form. So both in the sense of form is a pattern. We have Zendo forms. We have a particular way we are instructed to walk in the Zendo, a particular way that we're instructed to hold our hands when we're walking and another way to hold our hands when we're sitting in Zazen. Uh, we're told, given a form, given a pattern for when to bow. Um, in Kenhen or walking meditation, we're instructed in how to walk, how to be aware of everyone in the Sangha that's walking with us. Um, 
And then there's the aspect of form that we say in the Heart Sutra that we chant during the weekdays. Form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. Form is not other than emptiness. Emptiness is not other than form. And they seem to speak to two different things. And most of us come to, I think, Zen, a Zen center or an online Sangha, having an idea of Zen, having an idea of becoming more settled and more compassionate and more chill. Um, and then we come in and there's all this minutia. There's all these really picky people about how do you say this word and when do you bow and what foot do you step into the zendo with first. And those things seem to be really antithetical to the idea of what is the nature of reality that we all came here, or many of us came here with that question. What is big mind? How do I access all is one, one is all. So how do we reconcile the forms that we're asked to follow, the patterns that we're asked to follow and this big mind that we're searching for. I think so many of us feel like um, to become our true self in our everyday world is to express our personality is to wear the thing we want to wear, what feels good today, um, drive the car, buy the car I want to buy, or do I take the bus? What kind of person am I? What am I? Who am I going to vote for? Um, how do I? What are my preferences? What are my opinions? And the idea of letting go of some of those preferences, of some of those opinions for a short period of time, every week or every day, gives us an opportunity to dampen those opinions, to kind of quiet those options. Um, Suzuki Roshi says, the purpose of the forms is not to make everyone the same. It is to allow each one to express freely their true nature. 
their true self. So how does that happen when we're sitting silently, still, facing the wall? Um, well, what is revealed when we're doing this very simplified life? What are we able to realize when we let go of how would I like to be doing this? What do I want to do in this moment? What feels good to me right now? What are we able to access when a person is still and quiet? What am I? without my preferences, without my opinions and reactions. But we realize with Zen training that what I think of as myself and what I think of as each phenomenon, each thing, continually changes. There is no... The word we use in Zen often is there is no abiding self. Every phenomenon, every dharma or thing is codependently arisen, is based on all the past, um, all what's going on right now. And everything changes continually. I can have a feeling that I um, I know something. I have an opinion. I have a um, a belief, and then I have an experience, and I have new information, and that changes. I have a different belief. I have a different set of information. Things that I know. One moment we might see someone and think they're very admirable. We might revere them. And the next moment, for whatever reason, something they say, something that someone else says, something that crosses our mind, we see them as foolish. So nothing stays the same. Things are always changing. There is no abiding self. One story about Suzuki Roshi has him speaking to his um, early American students, very, um, in the 60s, very iconoclastic, and afraid to be me students, and explains to them, and they're in a monastery, so this is much more formal, but explains to them when you all dress alike, when you all wear your robes, then I can see, really see you. 
he's they've simplified all the phenomena they simplified all the options and something else is revealed in that i wanted to go over um a treatise or a writing that speaks to this by a Chinese Zen master about 400 uh, in um, Hunan, China. His name was Fa Zhang, and he was the teacher of uh, Empress, Empress Wu, who was uh, quite a formidable woman who came to the emperor's court as a courtesan and stayed until the death of the emperor and then became a nun and left the court and then was called back by the emperor's son to be a concubine of the new emperor and she eventually became the empress um, and she created she had built buddhist temples in every prefecture in china so someone who was very learned, someone who was very dedicated, and Fatsang was her teacher. So one day he arrived at the court of the empress to give her a teaching and saw a statue of a golden lion and said, this is it, this is it, I, I've got it. This, this statue explains everything about Zen Buddhism, and then proceeded to um, explicate all the characteristics of the golden lion and how they explain all these different aspects of no abiding self, everything changes, every form is emptiness, emptiness is form, and basically said that you can view the statue of the golden lion as a lion and you will miss the gold or you can view the form as gold and you will miss the lion and the ideal is to be able to realize that they interpenetrate that without the statue without the form of the lion the gold does not exist and without the material of the gold the statue is not possible they exist because of each other so you come to the lion searching, or we come to Zen searching for the pure gold. We come searching for vast, luminous, emptiness, big mind, the unnamed. And we keep saying, the garbage truck outside is keeping me from doing this. This phenomenon that my knee is hurting or the person across the zendo is breathing too loud. These things are keeping me from getting to the pure gold. 
I want to get rid of these things, but by ignoring the lion, ignoring the form, we miss the gold as well because they are the same thing. The Shen Shen Ming that we chant during the week also says, asserting that the world is real, you are blind to its deeper reality. Denying that the world is real, you are blind to the selflessness or emptiness of all things. So this is the merging of difference and unity, another chant that we have. Um, the same author of the Song of the Grass Roof Hermitage is also the author of the writing that's translated as the merging of difference and unity, Sekitokisen. And that that writing speaks completely to what we are talking about. About don't see light simply as light, and don't see darkness as darkness. There is light in the darkness. There is darkness in the light. So, the forms are the gold. The phenomenon, the things of the world, the myriad things, are the manifestation of the gold. Without a form, the gold is not able to manifest. When we simplify all the myriad things, when we say, let's, let's be quiet, we agree on a certain form for how we'll enter a room. And in this particular hour or so in our day or in our week, we'll be very quiet. We're not going to chat. We'll stare at a blank wall. By simplifying what the various distractions are, by agreeing on a form and following that form, we're able to get a taste of what the gold might be, what our true self, what Buddha nature might look like. Suzuki Roshi talked about forms such as breathing and our posture, sitting upright, 
and said, our practice is like a mother taking care of its baby, of her baby. She may not know what to do to take care of it, but that's what she does. She takes care of it. He said, our practice is like that. We're not breathing to achieve the perfect breath. We're not paying attention to our posture to achieve the perfect posture and to improve and correct and get better and better. We're taking care of our breath. We're caring for our posture. We're caring for these forms. And in the caring, we're brought closer to the gold. This morning, Rosemary, Rosemary read me a poem that I think speaks to this, speaks to not being so tangled in the world and not being so lost in emptiness, but to finding a middle way. And I asked her if she would be willing to read the poem for us during the talk. So if you're willing, Rosemary, you're on. Um, so this is a poem um, called Love. I'm not going to pronounce the name um, well, but it's uh, Cheslam Milos, M-I-L-O-S-Z. I know that he's famous, but this is a new, new poem for me. So love. Love means to look at yourself the way one looks at distant things. For you are only one thing among many. And whoever sees that way heals the heart without knowing it from various ills. A bird and a tree say to him, friend. Then he wants to see himself and things so that they stand in the glow of ripeness. It doesn't matter whether he knows what he serves, who serves best doesn't always understand. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I like that very much. And I wanted to end with um, a reading of the song of the Grass Roof Hermitage, because I think it really also feels like it's saying you can't have one without the other. You can't divorce yourself from the here and now, from this moment. This moment is the manifestation of the gold. The gold doesn't exist all by itself. So this is um, the Song of the Grass Roof Hermitage by Sekitoki Sen. I've built a grass hut where there's nothing of value. After eating, I relax and enjoy a nap. 
When it was completed, fresh weeds appeared. Now it's been lived in, covered by weeds. The person in the hut lives here calmly, not stuck to inside, outside, or in between. Places worldly people live, he doesn't live. Realms worldly people love, he doesn't love. Though the hut is small, it includes the entire world. In 10 feet square, an old man illumines forms and their nature. A Mahayana Bodhisattva trusts without doubting. The middling or lowly can't help wondering, will this hut perish or not? Perishable or not, the original master is present, not dwelling south or north, east or west. Firmly based on steadiness, it can't be surpassed. A shining window below the green pines, jade palaces or vermilion towers can't compare with it. Just sitting with head covered and all things are at rest. Thus, this mountain monk doesn't understand at all. Living here, he no longer works to get free. Who would proudly arrange seats trying to entice guests? Turn around the light to shine within, then just return. The vast inconceivable source can't be faced or turned away from. Meet the ancestral teachers. Be familiar with their instructions. Bind grasses to build a hut and don't give up. Let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. Open your hands and walk, innocent. Thousands of words, myriad interpretations are only to free you from obstructions. If you want to know the undying person in the hut, don't separate from this skin bag here and now. So thank you very much for your kind attention. And I'd love to hear any questions or comments or thoughts about this whole topic of form and our relationship to forms and emptiness, how they interpenetrate. Kim. There appears to be a little bit of a contradiction. <laughs> and here's the contradiction that our true self arises, as Suzuki Roshi said, when we follow the form. But, but let me say, but the contradiction is that, um, so I was sewing, and before we talked, which we don't talk the first hour, my stitch was one way, and then <laughs> someone asked me when we got to talking, so how are you? And all of a sudden, my stitch was completely different. So, so there's not this one abiding. It's not one abiding self, right? So it's the true self, but it's always changing, also. And and so that's kind of the contradiction. But you could easily um, infer, you know, from what Suzuki Roshi said, 
that there's one true self and you, you it's not so easy it's not that right right like sekito kisan was saying with oh, what was it that was um not stuck to inside outside or in between so there isn't uh, this thing this goal called buddha nature or true self our true nature that is not every moment every moment changing it's not, every it's not moment. permanent right it's not permanent and it has it's completely dependent on circumstance circumstance of the past and of the present and of the myriad things that's my understanding of that yeah joel Thank you, Nancy. And thank, thank you so much for this talk, Anne. I, I just want to uh, say that I noticed the same question that, that uh, Kim just brought up. And I, in fact, you and I talked about this some at one point. Uh, and just, the, just to me, the, the true self is the self that alters the stitch having heard something you know, like somebody saying hello, or, you know, you get knocked slightly off balance while you're walking because you see a bird crash into the window on the side of the Zendo or something. That's happened to me, you know, where all of a sudden I'm, I'm kind of stumbling along because I get involved in uh, a different phenomenon. But that, but the, what, what is coming out, the true self is this, if, if I understand what Suzuki Roshi is saying, seems more like the self that is arising in response to circumstances just like you said a moment ago Anne. that and that circumstances are always changing and and uh there is no self except what arises in relation to circumstances except for this except that we have this mistaken notion that the continuity that we feel from moment to moment from how I was before I stumbled to how I was after I stumbled, that uh, that's the real self. But the real self is this emergent uh, person who is in relationship to everything else. And uh, I love, you know, I love the the quote from from Dogen that says, "To study the self is to forget the self, and then finally, to be actualized by the myriad things." You know, or the 10,000 things. Uh, thank you for a wonderful talk. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Nelda. Good morning. I'm going to lower my hand now. Um, you know, 
thank you, yes, for this talk, because one more time, as soon as I think I understand something, I'm absolutely, totally confused again. And I've just decided that that's what Zen is, being always absolutely, totally confused. And here's, here's what's confusing um, to me. It is hard for me to tweeze out those neurotic <laughs> um, personality preferences sometimes from just this moment and who I am in this moment. And I always keep in the back of my mind, I find it's so fascinating that across spiritual practices, we have similar language. I know in the tradition I grew up in, there it was said in order to find yourself you must lose yourself too and then and and for us it's to the dharma to zen right to 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 what is so on the one hand i understand i must first find myself understand what my preferences and neuroses are right and understand them well enough to lay them down and lay them down in order to see more clearly what is fully in front of me. And yet I hear these words that say, but who you act as you act in every moment is. So, so clarify if you maybe <laughs> can tweeze out the difference. How do I know I'm being my neurotic self and how do I know I'm being in, mm. in the moment, me manifesting in this world as part of the Dharma right now, right here? Yeah, yeah. What is the gold? And what is the lion? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That um, that we are changing all the time. I I wanted to say there is no Nelda no, without all the neuroses and the preferences and the reactions, and that's not entirely true. Not always so, because. They change. You realize you have an experience, you hear something, something uh, strikes you a certain way, somebody teaches you something, and you're different. You're a different person. You pay attention and you realize, you recognize a pattern. Um, and you're able to relate to that in a different way. But in my, and I'm, I'm very happy that everybody's here to help with this. Um, in my way of thinking, there isn't just this non-neurotic, completely serene, um, enlightened, Nelda, or Anne, 
or Joel that this is what it is right now. It's like Kim was talking about with when there was the addition of a distraction, addition of some phenomenon, someone else talking, the stitch changed. The, I mean, what, what was right then in that moment, he was different. And so what was manifesting was different. So I don't know if that's helpful. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm very glad other people are here to, to help answer that question because what? it's great. What, yeah. One more question. I've learned, and, and, and now it, it, I have changed, that when the garbage trucks come by to just go, just this, that when the doggies are barking at the back doors, I'm trying to meditate and I wanted to sit in meditation that I have to get up and let them out. And I say, just this. And that that is, as far as I know in my practice right now, the best way to hold what is coming up in the moment and what needs my attention right now to just keep saying just this just this right and i think too that also applies to the irritation of the dogs and then they're doggy dogs at the garbage truck the irritation at the you know the neighbors <laughs> whatever it is that um you know that that's part of it too it's not that's that's a hard that's very hard for me to like you said to grab hold of and say yeah i wanted to get i wanted to get still and quiet and peaceful i wanted to be nice to people and i wanted people to like me um and i'm doing this because of that so i can understand the nature of reality and so um, what do you mean, my irritation and my um, all those things, my neuroses, as we call them, are also are the gold mm -hmm. in this moment. In this moment, yeah. Also, the justice, yeah, and to hold them with compassion. Thank you, Anne. Yeah, and I was also struck when I was writing this. I'm sorry, Marla, I will get to you, but I wanted to say this real quick, that I think the precepts are a form, that they help us um, act skillfully. And so we're not just stuck with everything is emptiness and everything is okay and I'm irritated and so I'm just gonna scream. And then we have the precepts, we have ethical behavior. And those are forms that help us in our life. Thank you so much. Yeah. Marla. Thank you, Anne. Um, I realize that IFS is not Zen or vice versa, 
but um, I, I'm recognizing also that the history um, of Appamata and the characteristics of a lot of the people who've come up in Appamata is based in psychology. And so, as I have deepened my practice, relatively recently, I noticed the IFS and parts and all of that stuff has been woven into a lot of people's thinking about Zen. And so I decided that I was going to go become smart about IFS. And so I'm really immersed in that right now. And I'm practicing with my parts. And I had an illusion that you just shattered today that the self, which in Dick Schwartz's world seems on the surface to be abiding and that it talks to the parts and it solves their problems and reassures them that the self in IFS can't be uh, fixed and, and constant. If in fact IFS and Zen connect and they do. And so this is just kind of changing my way of thinking about all of that stuff that I'm studying really deeply right now. And so I, I thank you for this talk because it's bringing up a real big, big edge for me, an assumption that I had made and, and kept. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's really true. I mean, that's, that's true for me as well, that idea of the self in IFS. I always have a little trouble with um, because it does seem like something outside of the parts or something separate from the parts, which is not my understanding of what Zen is teaching. Um, so it's a it's a skillful means. That's how I think of IFS. That it's not the last word, it's, and it's not twenty five hundred years old either. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't mean to be flipped there, but <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Rosemary. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, let's see. So in sitting today, um, I have been very focused on taking care of my breath and my posture and what distracts me is planning and um, other other things and um, so Marla this for me, this was a part, you know, the part that um, probably is anxious, whatever and um, but I, I uh, saw it as scaffolding that I don't always need anymore. And, but I didn't want to just break it up. I said, okay, well, we're going to take it down and we're going to move it over here and it, it can come back if it needs to. So I also felt it was important to take care of it. It's helped me a lot through my life until this practice. And, um, and, but it's very jealous and it wants my time and it wants to um, kind of take over uh, again. So there was this little dance between um, the um, the moment of, of my breathing and my posture and being in the moment and all those distractions now that you're talking about. For me, that's 
that's where I, you know, like I want to, I don't want to miss any of that. If the birds are singing or the floor is creaking when we're walking, that's, that's part of, that's all part of it for me. And also this part is part of it. So I don't know if this is making any sense, but for me, it, it, um, it helps me to not be dualistic about the distractions and the parts of me that um, still feel they need to help me protect me, you know, the protector parts. So it's kind of how I, and through this poem, the idea of, which I just read for the first time this morning before I shared it with Anne, um, the idea of looking at myself in the distance among everything um, was also in a way coming back to the breathing and the posture and away from the plan, the individual planning. So anyway, there's a lot moving there, but <laughs> thank you for listening. <laughs> so I think we need to go ahead and move on and do the rest of our uh, service. So thank you very much.